Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chancellor Surveyor, author, and property investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And this week, I'm joined by Jamie Medeal. Hi, Hi, Jamie. Hi, everybody. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you, Jamie? Good. Very good. Excellent. Now, we've been threatening this for some time, haven't we? We should have done this episode (laughs) months and months ago. But there we are. Worth the wait, I'm sure, because you are a HMO and rent-to-rent expert, and I know that's a big subject, which a lot of our listeners are going to be very interested in. So, Jamie, how long have you actually been in property? I bought my first house in 96. 96, that's quite a while. How did that actually happen? Uh, that was my first house I bought uh, with my wife, Xenia, and then we moved away from the area and rented it out. So I was uh, definitely an accidental landlord. Okay, why did you do that? Why didn't you just sell? Because I thought I knew about passive income, and I thought for the first time ever I'd have an asset that I didn't have to work for to give me some money. So I did that for a couple of years and then made the classic greedy mistake of selling that one asset to uh, then buy a bigger house where I wanted to go and live. So what an idiot. But there we go. You don't know what you don't know. Ah, but it was quite a strategic move, though, at the time. You obviously think it wasn't just that you had a property and you didn't know what to do with it. You were thinking about income. So the entrepreneurial investor in you was beginning to show itself. I was thinking about it, yes, but it definitely wasn't strategic because I didn't really have a plan at all. It was more by it was classically by accident. So what happened after that then? Um, after that, I got stuck into my job okay. and um, I got back into the rat race working in London, 12, 14 hour days, commuting three hours uh, each day to and from work. And I needed to get in to do something else to get me out of that situation. At the time, I'd worked for 18 years in London in media and advertising. I had a good job, but um, I wasn't getting any younger. And also, I wanted to be a bit more in control. And the company I had at the time, I had to reapply for my job every year with a new boss from the US uh, for 12 years. And that wasn't a very uh, reassuring place to be. It sounds a bit tedious, apart from anything else. Yeah, it was hard work, um, but it was what it was. I didn't know anything else. I was looking for another way out. Okay. So what then happened? And what, what, what made you see the opportunity? Weirdly enough, um, I started getting a few emails from a couple of chaps in Peterborough, right. Rob and Mark, who, again, unbeknown to me, had made some uh, mistakes in property beforehand. I bought a couple of off-plan uh, properties, again, on the hope that I was going to make some money. Uh, they didn't work out quite according to plan, but Rob and Mark from Progressive Property, unbeknown to me until literally about a year ago, bought the email database from that company when it went bankrupt, I started getting emails. Oh, right. And then something in there that resonated with me, which was to um, understand how to do it properly, to do it yourself, to learn, to invest in your education, and then actually take action and do something with it. Right. So that was the change. So you started with Bicelets? Yes. Yep. Tell us about that. I, through Progressive Property and the VIP program, I met a chap called Nick Haig, who was a really nice guy, 30 years in property, hadn't actually bought many himself. He'd worked for a big property company up around Yorkshire. But I hit it off with him, and I uh, started looking for single-let properties up in uh, Leeds. Mm. And I didn't have much money to put down, but I knew this could be a way for me to get some good yield. So I bought a few single-lets. Over the next 18 months, I bought nine single-lets, 
and they each made around 200 to 250 pounds net a month, which is okay. But I realised I wanted to make more money in single lets wasn't going to do it for me at that time to replace my job income. Yeah, now that is pretty good. And just to put this in some kind of perspective, you're buying up in Leeds, but where are you actually based, Jamie? Um, I live in Bishop's Dortford, which is not far from uh, north of London, um, near Stansted Airport. Right, so you're able to make the whole remote investing thing work for you. I was full-time in property from February 2012. Mm. And in the early months, Nick was very kindly helping me find deals and analyse deals. But I, I quickly realised I had to go and be a bit more hands-on. So I was driving up and down the A1 mm. from home every week, looking for properties, um, working on site with the refurb guys that I've been working with and, and got introduced to from Nick. Mm. So a bit more hands-on initially. But again, I realised I didn't really want to stick to that route only going forward. But obviously, single lets, that's, that was fine. But as you say, it's only £200 a month per property and you needed more than that. So what did you do next, Jamie? Um, I then invested in my education again and learned about rent to rent, ah. which is where you manage somebody else's house, give the landlord guaranteed income, and you make the difference between the income you pay the landlord and the obviously the bills that you pay for and the rent that you charge by renting out by the room. So that's what we learned about. We, we learned about that, first of all, myself and my business partner, Steve, who I met within the progressive community. Um, and again... We made loads of mistakes in the first couple of houses until we learned to systemize that, make more money, and then we've been doing that, that now for four years. It's been working really well for us. And where have you been doing that? More locally? Yes, more locally. So uh, Steve lives 15 minutes away from Bedford. I live less than an hour from Bedford, and Bedford was our chosen area. Uh, we are now expanding to other towns across Bedfordshire and Cambridgeshire, and also now looking into Coventry because we're buying more properties up there too. So definitely wanted to keep it more local, more manageable and more hands-on. Right. Now, I know a lot of people are very interested in rent-to-rent. What, what are the big advantages of using rent-to-rent as a strategy? The best thing about rent-to-rent is that you can generate income relatively fast. Mm. So Steve and I put in some money into the business when we first started. We put £5,000 in each, um, and that was a slush fund for our company. By the way, you don't need to do that anymore, but we didn't know that at the time. So we put in £5,000 each, which is less than a single let deposit. And then with that, we were able to get six rent-to-rent -rent HMOs in the first year. Um, the net income from those was something like uh, £5,000 a month net after all costs. So we put the money in, we got the money out, and we, in effect, created a HMO lettings agency. Hmm, interesting. Now, the thing which strikes me about rent to rent and a question I'm quite often asked is why would anybody actually rent you their property? Why don't they just sell it? What, so what would a typical rent to rent type landlord for you be? Oh, great question, Peter. So um, we source our rent to rents from two ways. One is from letting agents and one is obviously direct to landlord, as you've mentioned. So from a letting agency point of view, I guess the theme overall is how you can solve somebody else's problem. So from a letting agency point of view, it might be HMOs can be perceived to be hard work, quite highly regulated, and most letting agents don't really know about the regulations or haven't got the staff members to go and uh, put into that business and then build more income from that sector. So that's the sort of problems that you are solving when you work with them. From a landlord's point of view, the, the, the typical things that most landlords struggle with are dealing with customers, their tenants, and they're having those calls in the middle of the night. Might be voids, empty rooms, and not being paid income from those rooms. 
the rules and regulations put loads of people off, and Section 24 recently is making it much more difficult for some accidental or single-let investors to make more income. And we're seeing a definite shift of people going from singlets over into HMOs. And Section 24, of course, is the changes to the tax system, whereby we now cannot offset mortgage interest against the rent when we're calculating income tax. Absolutely. If the property's in our own name, just for anybody who's listening, not quite sure what that is. Yeah, yep. absolutely. We're seeing more, many people with one or two single lets have got into it by accident or maybe inherited it, that it's a ni- it was a nice income stream, not making as much now and worrying about what to do next. So if they want to keep the asset, the house, then they can still do that and we, we can come in and help them by giving them guaranteed rent by helping to convert it and run it as an HMO. Now, the thing which really makes, I think, is interesting what you've just said, Jamie, but well, it's all interesting, but the thing which particularly jumped out, I think, was the fact that you approached letting agents. And I know that a big concern for many people who are thinking of rent-to-rent but haven't tried it is how they're going to be received at their local letting agents when they go in and ask for a rent-to-rent. So how do you actually do it and how have you found it? Are you well-received or do they show you the door? Not always, no. So when we first started, um, again, it was a bit, bit by trial and error. Steve and I didn't have any business cards, no websites, nothing. We literally went in on the face of our personality and talked knowledgeably, we thought, about how we could help them. Actually, what we've done most recently is improve all of that. So we now have brochures for our company. We have business cards and all those things. But we still got our first six properties without having any sort of marketing or sales collateral at all. So it's not a prerequisite, but it does help. The key thing, though, with any letting agency is that you've got to be completely transparent, completely open about what you're doing. Uh, I'm a firm believer of building relationships. So you've got to see how you can work with the letting agency and make them more money. So we personally have a a contract, a management contract that we write up. We spend a lot of money on this and we show it to the letting agency to show them that we're not going to take their clients' uh, properties away from them. We're not going to take, we're not going to cut them out and go direct to the landlord. It's all in a management contract which outlines our responsibilities, their responsibilities and their landlord's responsibilities. So transparency is absolutely key. So you've got to be clear about how you can help them and you've got to have it in a a proper legal document. It would be my recommendation to anyone who wants to start this out. Absolutely. And in terms of transparency, do you hold the landlord's hand with things like insurance and how to deal with their lender? Absolutely. Absolutely. All part of our in the management contract. So I see so many people inadvertently, hopefully inadvertently, making mistakes because they don't know the rules and the regulations. Mm. And even if you are managing somebody else's house on a rent-to-rent HMO basis, you are also responsible for managing that property professionally. So we make that very clear to the landlord and the letting agency. Um, So for example, in our contract, we say that we have to make sure that if the property that we're taking over is a commercial property, like an existing HMO, then we'll need to see that and we see from the lender that is the appropriate um, mortgage. If it's a buy-to-let mortgage, we say to them, they have to tell their lender what they are doing because otherwise they might be committing mortgage fraud and nobody wants that. From an insurance point of view, again, we make it very clear and we help them about how they can either get the right insurance or get a license or both. And we can take them through the whole process. Yeah. And presumably, that can sound quite overwhelming, but in practice, it's relatively straightforward, I assume. Very, very easy. A few simple steps. Very easy. And also what we try and do is to take away the uncertainty about it. For anybody else who who wants to get into this, I recommend you do this. 
once you get your first one or two properties, get a, a quote, a testimonial from the letting agency or the landlord and preferably the tenants too. So you can then use that with their permission to take away the uncertainty and the fear factor from anybody else you have a conversation with. Because mm. this stuff is not difficult at all once you know what you're doing. Exactly, when you know what you know. So is there such a thing as a typical rent-to-rent deal? I'm guessing there isn't. Well, ironically, when Steve and I first started, we were told that rent-to-rent does not work. HMOs don't work, whether you buy them or or rent-to-rent them, um, unless you've got five or more bedrooms. So Steve and I, in our complete naivety, we started off, our first six properties were all three-storey existing HMOs, uh, typically rented out to students. Landlords were fed up with them with the, the, you know, the, the state of the properties. So we took those out because we were told in our training, and I must say it wasn't with Progressive. Mm. Uh, if I had, it would have been correct. But uh, we were told in our training that had to be bigger properties. So that's all we looked out for. But for the last three years, we've also been working, or two and a half now, we've also been working with terraced houses because mm. there's loads of those in our area. Mm. So we were told right at the beginning that the fifth bedroom or more is where your profit is. Mm. But it's absolute rubbish. Mm if you know your area and you know your numbers. Well, I would guess that actually the profit must depend upon how much you're paying the landlord, presumably. Absolutely. The, the number of rooms does obviously come into play, but of course, how much you can, A, charge your tenants mm. to rent there, uh, but B, what you pay the landlord absolutely comes into play. But we had this, we had this view, and I think we, we grew slower than we, we should have done because we were wedded to the idea that we had to get bigger properties for it to work, but it's not the case. One of our recent ones is uh, in Barrow Street in Bedford. It's a three-bedroom terraced house. Mm. There's thousands of those in our area, and we completely ignored them um, for the first few years. And yet we're still making about £800 net a month income from that. Well, I was going to say, let's let's actually get into some nitty-gritty figures here, which I think hopefully everybody will find interesting and helpful. Mm. So in terms of the deal, what deal did you propose and what deal was accepted? Okay. Um, I'll give you an example of our latest one because I'm not brilliant at numbers. But this is the one I can remember. So we took on, Steve and I, uh, in January last year, we took on a property uh, called Kim Bolton Road. And it is a massive mansion, two and a half million pounds worth of house. The landlord uh, is an unencumbered house. We didn't know this at the time. We were introduced to him via our letting agent, Jane. And uh, the landlord had the property empty for a year. He was renting it out to a single, as a single let, but couldn't for the last year for whatever reason. And he wanted four and a half thousand pounds rent for that property. We went in there and negotiated down from four and a half thousand because it was definitely not going to work. So we agreed to pay him for seven years, two thousand pounds guaranteed rent every single month. For seven years? For seven years. Mm. And he took that on board because he had no income from that property for a year beforehand. Mm. There was no certainty about where the income was going to be. So we took away all of that pain, all that uncertainty, and gave him the guarantee. And presumably he's paying council tax and utilities and all the other associated costs anyway. He was, but now we pay all those for And now you've taken that over. So that was that's for a seven-bedroom property, so there's not a terraced house, but seven bedrooms. But we make over a £1,000 net income after every single cost from that. So have you let it as a single let, or have you HMO'd no, it? No, HMO'd or? the lot. Yeah, and he was okay with that. Absolutely You obviously fine. told your landlord you were going to do that. Yep. He signed the piece of paper saying that you could. Absolutely. We helped him to apply for an HMO license in his name. And we are uh, the managing agent for that property. So we are also on that license. But we did the whole thing for him. All the insurance, the HMO license. We project managed but didn't pay for the refurb. uh, Because he wanted, again, uh, us to be in control of that. 
So yeah, it worked out very well for us. I think he paid £14,000 to convert that property uh, so we could then give him that guaranteed rent for seven years. Brilliant. That is something which somebody might be listening to this thinking, well, that's great, Jamie, but you've actually committed to that for seven years. What if it didn't work? Well, what, if, what if you couldn't find the tenants? Absolutely. So that's a great question, Peter. I think uh, two things. First of all, do you research up front? Uh, we are very, very clear about looking at supply and demand in all of the areas we operate. And the thing is, as you well know, as an experienced uh, landlord, the seasonality that comes into play. Sometimes more people are looking to rent rooms than others. Mm. And you've got to know what that is. So we, do, we have a very quick spare room exercise that takes five minutes and we check once a month what the supply and demand of rooms are in our area is. Mm. Uh, the other side is you've got to be very clear on your numbers. So we've created a deal analyzer that takes away every single possible cost from any property we analyze. So we, we know what the profit margin is, what the payback period is, if we're putting some cash into this deal, and what the gross and net income will be over a year, three years, five years, or seven years. Mm. So we're very, very, very clear before we commit to taking a property what the numbers are and what the supply and demand is once we take it on board. And of course, within our contract, we have a get-out clause, as does the landlord. If they're not happy after 18 months, for example, they can get out of the contract. Um, and likewise, so can we. Mm. One thing which always strikes me about rent-to-rent -rent is that rent-to-rent gives the possibility of perhaps looking at buying the property on an option or some kind of creative method of purchasing. Yes. Do you tend to do that? We always ask the question, but I must admit, we haven't had any success with Have that so far. Right. So we've asked it every single time. Yeah. But quite frankly, if you think about it from a, a landlord's point of view, unless they really are distressed or, or just want to get out of the problem, they'll, they'll try and sell it. Hmm. Um, in our experience where we operate, over the last few years, capital prices, house prices have been going up quite a lot. So quite a few of them want the headache of managing it taken away, mm. but they still want to own the asset. Mm. So we've always asked for an option to buy at the end, but we haven't had any success yet. Right. But in it any case, do. it's a fantastic cash flow strategy for you, yeah. which is why you're doing it. Absolutely. Now, I don't want to give up completely on talking about these three-bedroom terraced houses, yeah. because I, I kind of understand three-bedroom terraced houses. So do you, do you rent to rent those and then let them out as single lets or do you HMO those as well? HMO those. We, everything we do is HMO. Mm. So with the example of the, the three-bedroom terrace in Bower Street, um, the, the whole reefer we did is we put fire doors on the existing bedrooms, doors, and also on the kitchen, and then we literally converted the, the front room, which was the sitting room, into a bedroom to make it four beds and put a fire door on that. That was pretty much it. Mm. Where we operate in Bedford, that's under the additional licensing scheme. Nothing to worry about. You can go onto the, your council website to find out what that is. And all that meant was we had to have a decent fire alarm and fire doors. That was it. And, of course, apply for a license. And what sort of monthly profit would you make on a property like that? We're making £800 net on that prop property. Pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. And your landlord, he's, he or she is happy? Very happy. They never go there. They don't need to go there. But they also know because we are a professional outfit uh, and our management contract outlines what we should do, we're in there every single week um, checking the fire alarms, making sure the fire doors are obviously working and there's uh, access to and from the property, although corridors and whatever are, are clear. So we have very clear guidelines on what we have to do legally to make us responsible HMO renter and operators. Now, it's not you and Steve who are actually doing that. No, it was in the early years, but not anymore. So now we have contractors who work with us, including cleaners, mm. who go in every week or two weeks to do all those checks for us. 
And all we now do, Steve is a, a, a brilliant systems guy. He doesn't like to pay for stuff. So we've got loads of free software or apps and we manage everything from our mobile phones. Mm. So for example, we'll have a cleaning rotor for all of our houses uh, on a piece of kit called Evernote, which is a mm. bit of software. And once the, uh, the cleaner, Andre our weekly maintenance person has gone in there and done the checks, they will send us a note. It's recorded in Evernote, and then before we have proof that they've done the work, uh, and, and it's being looked after properly. So in terms of actually doing rent to rent itself, the one downside, of course, is you're not capturing the capital value increases, yes. if there is a capital value increase. So presumably you're still buying as well as doing rent to rents. Yeah, what, what I did with Steve is the, the key thing for us, first of all, was income. So we set up our rent to rent business as income, and that has been very uh, healthy. Steve is much more financially astute than I am. So I'm not a numbers person, as you now well know. But Steve always had a very clear view that he wanted to have pots of money saved from every bit of income we get from a rent-to-rent to go towards certain things, to protect that business, but also to use extra savings from that to go and buy more properties. So for the last uh, year or 18 months, actually, we've been buying more properties too, um, converting those into HMOs and managing them as well. So people don't normally say this, but the difference between rent-to-rent and buying HMOs is only, you know, it's a tiny fraction. The whole thing is exactly the same apart from the buying bit. Mm. And is that around Bedford as well? Uh, Because the price in Bedford now and Cambridge is so expensive, we've gone slightly further afield. Um, Little place called Peterborough. And uh, moving swiftly (laughs) on. And uh, up to Coventry as well. Okay, and how's that going? That's good. That's good. I I just bought a property um, three months ago, um, Biggin Hill Crescent in Coventry. It was a three-bedroom semi-detached house uh, bought on probate from an estate agent. Um, bought that property, uh, converted it into a five-bed, five-on-suite HMO. Uh, that was rented out two weeks before Christmas. And Shawbrook, who are the, um, the, the bank that like to invest or lend with HMO um, landlords, have just revalued that. So I bought it for 140. They just revalued it at 287. So very happy with that. Brilliant. So you've got all of your money back out, presumably. And a bit more. We and spent 60 on the refurb. Mm. So yeah, quite a big refurb. So we spent just over, well, over £200,000 with fees as well included and searches. Mm. Um, and 287 is the, uh, the money that's come back out. Brilliant. Fantastic. So listening to this, somebody might be thinking, that's very interesting, Jamie, but how do you actually develop a new goldmine area like that? Because you obviously jumped from Bedford up to Coventry or Peterborough, which we won't talk about. Yeah. <laughs> but, for example, how did you develop a new gold mine area in somewhere like Coventry, where you weren't operating before? Well, I teach everyone, or I recommend everyone, does a couple of key things. One is to look at uh, the area you are wanting to operate in. So look at it from uh, things like the amenities, the transport links, the employment in the area. Look at universities and colleges. Look at teaching hospitals, for example. Um, and all those things go into the mix. If you're investing in an area or looking to go to an area which is on the up, there's growing demand for housing and property is still expensive compared to the average income in that area, then you can, you know, you've got a pretty good estimate that there'll be rental demand if you provide good quality rooms. Mm. The second thing we do is we look at, again, we do the spare room test of supply and demand of, of how many people are looking versus rooms available and also the average rent that people are looking to pay, which you can see on the spare room, for each room. 
And those things and obviously going, going on the ground to look at the area, asking local letting agents and estate agents, all those things come into play when, when literally using a bit of common sense and, and research like you learn on the masterclass uh, progressive, um, you do for HMOs too. Mm. And you were looking at Coventry specifically with HMOs in mind. Yes. Why? Because, I mean, somebody listening to this might think, well, you could just stick a pin in a map. So what was it that made you look in Coventry? Did you have an idea that it may work? Was it because somebody had said something over coffee? Or how did it happen? OK, so a couple of things um, happened. One is that uh, it wasn't the only place we were looking at, of okay. course. So we've, uh, we've researched where I live um, in, uh, in Bishop's Dorford, but capital price is too expensive. We looked at Coventry, we looked at uh, Bedford and other areas like Luton around our area. But we realised we had to go further afield, slightly further north up into the Midlands, uh, for us to hit the profit benchmarks we wanted. Mm. So the first things first were um, price of property. Then we wanted to look at rental income to see how much profit we could make. Um, and we literally asked around as many people as we could to gather their expertise and advice before making an informed decision to go from something like 10 different locations down to two or three. Once we got two or three that we think was going to work, we then went on the ground, asked letting agents, asked estate agents, and again, honed down the areas. One thing I also did, which I recommend anyone to do as well, is go to local networking meetings, because you'll find people who are experts in that strategy in that area, and just pick their brains. Hmm. People are very, very willing to share. Um, and that's how we, we sort of started. Okay. Interesting you talk about talking to the local letting agents, because... Managing HMOs is actually quite a niche thing, isn't it? I'm guessing that not many letting agents really know how to do that. You presumably found good agents up there, or else you wouldn't be doing it. Well, we've actually created a team up there who are managing our own properties using our own systems, ah. and the majority of those systems are all online anyway. So, we, again, we're slightly fortunate to have the level of experience that we do now, and all the systems that Steve, to be honest, it's all Steve's work, nothing to do with me, Steve's um, uh, expertise has come into play. So we've now got a team up in Coventry to manage our own properties uh, and in other areas too, um, using the same systems that we do for our Bedford HMOs, rent rent HMOs. Okay. As I mentioned, you know, it's 99% the same work mm. whether you're buying or doing rent to rent So we have contractors now in place to run our properties and maintain our properties in Coventry as we do when we started off in Bedford. Mm. So yeah, people on the ground is absolutely key because you make money or you lose money in HMOs uh, in, in, I guess, direct report, proportion to how well you manage or how someone to manage on the ground. Management's absolutely crucial, isn't it? It's I think some people don't appreciate thing. just how important it is yeah. with a HMO. Buying or sourcing properties, relatively easy. The management bit is where all your income for life comes from. Totally, totally. So what is a typical tenant for you in one of your HMOs? What sort of, uh, what's the word would we say... Um, Demographic. Demographic, yeah. okay. Well, our typical demographic or our customers are between 23 and 40. Um, so young professionals and slightly older professionals. And we've seen a demographic change a bit. So they're, they're all employed. They're all working for various industries depending on the area. So, for example, in Bedford, our first um, customers in our very first HMO, uh, Mark worked for a private bank uh, in the area. Um, Sophie and Louise both work for local solicitors firms. They're relatively young. It might be their first or second job out of university, for example. Uh, we've had Danny, who's a, a catering manager in a local hotel. So the, the, we're talking about relatively younger people, 
But over the last couple of years, we've seen a shift to slightly older people now wanting to rent room, rent properties by the room, um, which is quite interesting. Mm. So there might be divorcees, for example, or people relocating with work. But typically, you know, this, this term, young professionals, 23 to 40, who are employed, who, who need good quality housing to live in. So quite high, to, quite high, high end. In that sense, well, relatively, I think from an income point of view, anything from eighteen thousand pounds upwards. Mm. So, not necessarily big earners. Mm. Um, affordability is a really, really big thing uh, for us, and we do part of our tenant checks, our customer checks, infol- involve you know make sure they can afford it. But um, yeah, it's not necessarily high end, but it's certainly a growing demographic now of people in that bracket who can't necessarily afford to buy their own mm. home yet mm. or want to buy their own home. Um, but also renting out a room with all the bills included can be a lot easier uh, rather than buying a, or rather renting a one-bedroom flat with all the costs that in, they have to incur there. Mm. So, yeah, it's, uh, that's the typicals of customer we have. Okay. And have you been tempted to combine with another strategy, for example, serviced accommodation, something like that? We've been tempted, but we haven't done it. The reason being is that I guess my focus is always on HMOs and having people who are moving in and out of a property quite quickly, maybe after one or two nights, uh, mixing those with people who are living for at least six months in that house, I think could upset. I've got no evidence, by the way, to back this up. But my gut feel is I think you either need to do it as a single let or an HMO or service combination. I haven't tested it either way. We have got sourced uh, a very big property from our letting agent who we're just testing now. It's a five and a half million pound house in 25 acres outside Bedford as a serviced accommodation property. But we haven't mixed the two strategies together. So I, I, I couldn't possibly comment on that because I haven't got any experience about it yet. Mm, but you're thinking about it. We're thinking it's about it, possible. yeah. But, but I think one of the things is Steve and I wanted to create a business that was scalable and easy to manage. So therefore, we've created the systems to help us run our HMOs, whether we own them or manage them. Service combination is a very, very different business, and the systems you need are very different. So I think it, it could just, without knowing more about it, it could be quite a complicated thing to marry the two together. Mm. And actually, there is an argument that if what you're doing is working and it's working well, then why change anyway? Yeah. We, I think sometimes as property investors, we're tempted to try the next new thing because it's the next new thing. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily fit with our flow. No, I think you're right. And in in the early days of working with Progressive, I was tempted to all sorts of different things until I found the thing that I love, but also more importantly, gave me the returns that I wanted. Mm. So we've just stuck with it. Very, you know, it's a a very simple, scalable thing and we love it. Mm. And you do it very, very well. Thank you. Now, I'm sure you're aware, but there's rumblings in the government. There's changes to the licensing laws that are coming through. Tell us about that and tell us what your take is on that. Does it worry you? No, I love it. Oh, interesting. Why do you love okay, it? Well, so, well, first of all, can you give us a quick recap of what's going to happen? Sure. So the, the, the licensing uh, laws are changing. So successive governments now have been looking at improving the quality of housing stock in the UK, which I think is a very, very positive thing because there's lots of rogue landlords out there and I hope they'll get caught. Because one of the things that I absolutely hate is how some people look at any property strategy and work out how they can cut as many corners as possible Mm. to make as much profit as possible and completely ignore the housing that they're providing for people living in those houses, Mm -hmm. their customers. 
So anything that improves the standards, I think, is a very, very good thing. So I'll give you an example of Bedford, uh, one of our first goldmine areas. The HMO standards currently are, if there are three or more people who are unrelated living in a house, then it is an HMO. If that HMO is three stories, then you have what's called mandatory licensing. And that just means you've got to have certain room sizes, fire alarms, fire um, safety equipment in the property. That's pretty much it. And you can't overcrowd that property. But with the recent government changes, now more uh, councils across the country are looking at expanding how many properties go into that HMO license criteria. So within Bedford in the last year, and I see it's happening all across the UK, which again, I do think is a very positive thing, um, properties that don't fit the traditional criteria of five or more people, three stories, mm. i.e. like Bower Street, our, two bed, our two-story, three-bedroom terraced house, that's now what's coming under uh, additional licensing. Mm. And that all, all that means is that, again, nothing to be worried about. You can find out what it is in your local area by putting HMO into your search bar of your council website. But all that means is we've got to have a fire safety first and foremost and room size is pretty much from the front of our mind with all of our properties. So the new changes mean that there is an absolute distinction that every property room that you rent out has to be 6.52 square metres um, and it has to have fire doors and have uh, fire safety and a hardwired smoke and fire detection system. If you are providing no additional communal areas in a property too, so there might only be a kitchen that's shared, and there might be a table and chairs in the kitchen, but there's no other space like a dining room or a sitting room, for example, then the rooms are going to be 10.2 square metres. So that's pretty much it. Mm. Uh, again, you can check your local council because they'll have slightly different rules and regulations. But it's all about raising standards and fire safety, and I think that is a very, very good thing. And that's why you love it. I love it because, again, if I'm thinking selfishly from a business point of view, that all those rogue landlords who are now getting caught and fined, well, they've got to be, they've got to do something with their properties. They're either going to sell those or the council are going to forcibly take those over and give them to people like us who can make them look better and manage them professionally. From a rent-to-rent point of view, with Section 24, which is, as you mentioned before, under tax changes, lots of those smaller single-let properties might now be perfect for HMOs because the landlords aren't making as much profit potentially from them. So if you can help those landlords by giving them guaranteed rent and making the rooms fit uh, and legal places to, to run as an HMO, then again, it's, it opens up the market so much more to people doing rent to rent as well. Mm. So I think it's a good thing, both from a business opportunity point of view, but also from um, a, a sort of legal, ethical way of housing people correctly. So for anybody who's been listening to this, who's thinking, well, I'm quite, I'm quite interested in this rent-to-rent stuff, what would be your sort of top tips for anybody who's thinking of going into it, Jamie? Don't go into it with your eyes closed. And what I mean by that is find out as much as you can do about how it works in your local area, get educated as ever, um, learn from the experience of others who have been there and done it before you, whether that be through mentoring or training. Um, Progressive are very good at obviously all of those things. But don't learn from your own mistakes. Steve and I did that in the first year, and we made some clangers. If we knew more about what we were doing by being trained properly from day one, we would have scaled our business quicker and faster. So please learn from somebody else, 
educate yourself, surround yourself with people who know what they're doing, learn what the rules and regulations are in your area, and you can get that from your council website, and check supply and demand, and make sure you make decisions based on the numbers, not gut feel. Mm. Now, talking of learning from people who know what they're doing, you are a trainer. You I am train, a trainer. You train with Progressive. Yes. What do you train? What, what subjects are you training at the moment, Jim? Uh, well, we train HMOs, funnily enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, so we tra train HMOs. So whether you're looking to buy HMOs, we, we train on that, how to do it, how to research it, how to take away the fear away from HMOs, how to simply scale that business for you to give you whatever returns you want. Um, yeah, that's what we train here. And if somebody wanted to know more and they wanted to learn from you, how would they find out about the courses? How would they get to meet you? How will they get to pick your brains and, and get all that wisdom out of you, Jamie? Okay, well, contact uh, the Progressive uh, Property team. They will help you with the logistics of what the training is, where it is, how often it is. And if you want to contact me as well personally, more than happy to do that, either over email or Facebook. Um, so, yeah. You, what is your email address? So we have uh, my other business I work with is called The HMO Company. So my email is support at thehmocompany.co.uk. That's a pretty cool name for your company. That's all right. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. That's what it says on the tin. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, my, uh, my, my sort of personal, sorry, my professional profile rather on Facebook is Jamie Medill HMO. So you can find me there too. Okay, brilliant. Now, you're not just a trainer with Progressive. Many of our listeners may even have been to a Progressive Property Network event. And of course, you're the man who actually introduced PPN meetings to Progressive. Yes. So how did that happen? Yes, well, I ask myself the same question sometimes, Peter. I'm not quite <laughs> sure. Um, uh, what, as I'm sure you might have experienced this, and I'm sure many others you've interviewed too, the, the path and the opportunities of, of what happens within this environment, within the Progressive Property Community, uh, is sort of quite manifest. All sorts of things can happen, and it might not be you know, as simple as going from A to B. So I had a conversation with Rob Moore when I was doing a JV testimonial for him, when Rob was still doing the, the uh, I think the JV trading days back in 2011, maybe, maybe early 2012. And I gave him, as a testimonial, some of the examples of what I'd done by learning from him and Mark and the rest of the team here in the last year. And over lunch that day, we were talking about how we could expand. He's mentioned a we, it's more like him. But he, he, <laughs> he talked about how we could expand the reach of progressive property across the UK. And at the time, Robert Mark put on the biggest property event once a year called the Property Super Conference in London. I went to the one in 2013. I was there too. Mm. I was there too. Good to see you there. And they wanted to expand that across the UK and run monthly events. So literally, I worked with Rob. I researched the, the business of it. Uh, I picked the brains of not only the events team at Progressive, but others who run property and business networking events. And in early 2013, uh, we created PPN as an opportunity, as a franchise business for people within the Progressive community, typically, to buy into that to set up and run their own local property networking event and get the benefit of being a local professional, getting business to them, raising their profile, joint venture finance, et cetera, et cetera. And that's now been doing really well since 2013. So again, if anybody wanted to talk to you about that, could they, yes. do, couldn't they get in touch with you to talk absolutely, about that? Absolutely, absolutely. If anybody wants to be a host and have their own network meeting. Of course, we'd love to speak to them. Uh, we have a great team here who manage all that, but I'll give you my email for that. 
So it's Jamie Medill at progressivepropertynetwork.co.uk. A different email. A different email, yeah. Yeah, okay. So presumably networking must be something very close to your heart. Absolutely. It, it's, how, it's how so many opportunities came my way. Uh, it's how I've been able to raise finance. I met my business partners through that. And of course, being part of the progressive community has just been transformational in terms of some of the successes and experiences and friendships I've made over the last five years. Mm. The power of networking is immense, isn't it? Something it is which incredible. we stress at Masterclass over and over, that all the money that you need, all of the deals that you need, all of the support, inspiration, hand-holding that you need is probably at your local networking event. And Absolutely. if not there, go to several networking events. You will find whatever it is that you need. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that I say to people a lot about networking is be consistent. Be consistent in terms of the ones you go to. Be consistent in terms of what you do there, what you say about yourself. Turn up. Because once you become more consistent and more visible, you have an element of credibility about you. Um, and it, you do attract people that like you, for example, but also who might have deals to sell you or money to invest with you. But if you're not there consistently, then the chance of you getting those opportunities are, are you know, vastly reduced. Mm. So commit now. Go to a PPN <laughs> meeting close to you now. Yeah. yeah, totally. Jamie, it's been brilliant to have you in. And that's such cool information you've given us about Rent to Rent and Thanks, HMOs, which is really, really good. Jamie, I'm... Um, Thank you for letting everybody have your email address. I hope you don't get too inundated. <laughs> but Jamie, you know, if you want to talk to Jamie, if you want to contact Jamie, Jamie is available if you want to know more about Rent to Rent or HMOs. I'd be happy to help. Fantastic. I've been Peter, Peter Jones. If you want to know a bit more about me, come to my website, which is www.thepropertyteacher.co.uk. Otherwise, until the next Progressive Property Podcast, here's to successful property investing.